Imagine if you were a citizen, let's say even a storekeeper of a small town on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And let's say it's the first day of your work week. You've left from your house, you've come to the store, you've checked stock. The sun is rising higher, it's time to begin the day. So you open the shutters, you unlock the front door. You put up your sign that advertises your wares. And out front of your store is the center market of the town. It's a small square. And all the other storekeepers, uh, the marketeers, everyone is doing what you're doing. People are beginning to mill. Children are on their way to school. And as the sun is climbing higher in the eastern sky, it starts to have that feeling, okay, here we go. The hustle and bustle of human life in this day. And you prepare. The store has now opened. It's begun. The day has begun. You are about to do business. When for some reason, just as you're about to step back inside and really get down to work, for some reason, a man catches your attention. And I guess it's because it's a small town and you really know almost everyone. And he's coming from the outskirts towards this center square. But there is something about him, the way he carries himself, the dead serious look on his face, and yet almost a, a curl of a smile on his lips. And he's coming straight towards the center part of your small town. And for some reason, again, you, you just begin to notice and watch him. Well, he arrives to the square. He takes one circle of all the booths looks at the signs, the storefronts. And then in the middle of, again, the hustle and bustle of this first work week of this start of the day, the normal kind of thing that we can all imagine in our busy lives, he stops in the center part of the square, examines all the faces of the people around him, and then squares his shoulders. His chin rises a little bit. And he speaks aloud the first words that we ever get to really hear from Jesus of Nazareth to a crowd of people. This is what he says, that man. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Imagine that. Imagine if you were there and heard the very first words of the true breakthrough of the kingdom of heaven to this earth. Imagine it. Well, my friends, if you've been tracking this late summer into the fall and now into the winter of 2022-2023, then you know that we're looking at what I describe as the nine slices of the disciples' experience of Jesus. We've already done encounter. What was it like when he looked you in the eye? We just last week finished knowing his personality and its power. Well, now we're going to move into his words, the way that he opened his lips as God in the flesh, and gave us the true heart, the true teachings of this, yes, the kingdom of heaven. And so before we get to my absolute favorite, the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll start next week, before we get to some more of the parables that we'll also get to, and of course, the last discourse, before we get all these gorgeous, glorious, celestial words, before we get to all those, we have to do business with the fact that the first thing Jesus ever talked about was his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven 
is this thread that he weaves through everything that he teaches all through the three years of his ministry. And so before we get to its innards, things like the Sermon on the Mount that teach about its way of life, we just have to understand that there is a thing called the kingdom of heaven. It's a demonstrable thing. It's a place. It's also a way of being. It is the heart of what Jesus came to establish in us and around us for his purposes. So what I want to do in this episode is just acquaint you with everything Jesus said about it. And so what I'm going to be doing is setting these scenes where he spoke about it, just so you can imagine who he was speaking to, what he was saying, and then I just want his words to be the words you hear. So my invitation to you is, this is an aggregate of almost every single word he ever said about the kingdom of heaven. Let it wash over you. Let it teach you about the place you're inhabiting as a newborn citizen. Be there. Delight in it. Experience. So, let's dive in. Because very early in his ministry, let's say you were following along with him as one of the called disciples who've come to know his personality, you've traveled to Jerusalem. You've walked the streets, you've been to the temple, and now it's nighttime. And as Jesus loves to do, he loves to climb the outside stairs of the places you live and to sit on the rooftop, to look over the city and its lights, to look out over the stars and the moon. And that's where you are with him, sitting there in the moonlight. When you hear the unmistakable sound of feet coming up the outside stairs, and both you and Jesus look over and you see a stranger coming who introduces himself. His name is Nicodemus. And he sits down along the edge, the railing of this rooftop seat and simply says, Master, we realize that you are a teacher who has come from God. Obviously, no one could show the signs that you show unless God were with him. And Jesus examines the face of this Pharisee for a moment and then says, Believe me, A man cannot even see the kingdom of God without being born again. But how can a man who's getting old possibly be born, replied Nicodemus? Uh, How can he go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? I assure you, said Jesus, then unless a man is born from water and from spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. You must not be surprised that I told you that all of you must be born again. The wind blows where it likes. You can hear the sound of it, but you have no idea where it comes from and where it goes. Nor can you tell how a man is born by the wind of the spirit. Well, many months later, you, Jesus, the other disciples, huge crowds are now back in the Galilee, back kind of in the headquarters of his ministry, and you're surrounded, yes, by an enormous crowd. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins not only the parable I'm about to relate to you, but actually on this day, it's related to us in Matthew 13, the greatest concentration of parables about the kingdom of heaven that he'll ever teach So this is the way he begins. There was once a man 
who went out to sow. In his sowing, some of the seeds fell by the roadside, and the birds swooped down and gobbled them up. Some fell on stony patches where they had very little soil. They sprang up quickly in the shallow soil, but when the sun came up, they were scorched by the heat and withered away because they had no roots. Some seeds fell among thorn bushes, and the thorns grew up and choked the life out of them. But some fell on good soil and produced a crop, some a uh, hundred times what had been sown, some sixty and some thirty times. The man who has ears should use them. After that somewhat enigmatic ending, well, you and the other disciples walked over and quietly asked him, Why do you talk to them in parables? And Jesus smiles. Because you have been given the chance to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, he replies. Well, mere moments after that, really still as an aside to you, to the disciples, he then says this. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were asleep, his enemy came and, and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the crop came up and ripened, the weeds appeared as well. Then the owner's servants came up to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Uh, where did all these weeds come from? Some blaggard has done this to spite me, he replied. Do you want us then to go out and pull them all up? Asked the servants. No, because if you pull up the weeds now, you would pull up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together till the harvest. And at harvest time, I shall tell the reapers, collect all the weeds first and then put them in bundles ready to burn. But collect the wheat and store it in my barn. That, according to Jesus, is the kingdom of heaven. Well, in the same aside, the same day by the sparkling Sea of Galilee, he goes on to say this. The kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed on the ground and then going to bed each night and getting up every morning while the seed sprouts and grows up, though he has no idea how it happens. The earth produces a crop without any help from anyone. First, a blade, then the ear of corn, then the full-grown grain in the ear. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends his reapers in without delay, for the harvest time has come. That, according to Jesus, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And by the way, that's from Mark 4. Mark kind of puts that in the middle of what Matthew 13 tell us, tells us about that afternoon. We continue again with Matthew 13. Same aside, same day, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a tiny grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. As a seed, it is the smallest of them all, but it grows to be the biggest of all plants. It becomes a tree, uh, big enough for birds to come, and to rest and nest in its branches. Same aside, same day. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast 
taken by a woman and put into three measures of flour until the whole lot has risen. Same aside, same day. Again, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like some treasure which has been buried in a field. Um, A man finds it and buries it again and goes off overjoyed to sell all his possessions to buy himself that field. Same aside, same day. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for uh, fine pearls When he has found a a single pearl of great value, he goes off and sells all his possessions and buys it. And lastly, same aside, same day. Or, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a big net thrown into the sea, collecting all kinds of fish. When it is full, the fishermen haul it ashore and sit down and pick out the good ones for the barrels but they throw away the bad. That is how it will be at the end of this world. The angels will go out and pick out the wicked from among the good and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be tears and bitter regret. Have you grasped all this? Jesus asked. "Mm, Yes, they replied. (laughs) Well, you can see then, returned Jesus, how everyone who knows the law and becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, is like a householder who can produce from his store both the new and the old. Friends, again, all of those, from the first, the the parable of the sower, all the way to that, this parable of sort of the fish, the net, all of that, all of that was the same afternoon. Well, weeks or maybe even months later, And perhaps he's now in the middle of one of the Galilean villages, um, perhaps, again, like our first image, surrounded by the sort of normal hustle and bustle of human life, we're told this, that it was at that time that the disciples came to Jesus with this question, who, Jesus, is really greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus turns away sees a little boy or little girl, gestures and calls that little child to his side and sets that one on their feet in the middle of everyone. Believe me, he said, unless you change your whole outlook and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It is the man who can be as humble as this little child who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, interestingly, on that very same day, Jesus, Jesus kind of notices that perhaps Peter would like to have a little man-to-man, a little aside with him. And so this is what we're reading and we're told that Peter approached him and came with the question, hmm, Master, how many times can my brother wrong me and I must forgive him? I would seven times be enough? No, replied Jesus. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. For Peter, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to settle his accounts with his servants. When he had started calling in his accounts, a man was brought to him who owed him millions, millions. And when it was plain that he had no means of repaying the debt, 
His master gave orders for him to be sold as a slave and his wife and children and all his possessions as well and the money to be paid over. At this, the servant fell on his knees before his master. Oh, be patient with me, he cried. I will pay you back every penny. Then his master was moved with pity for him, set him free and canceled his debt. But when this same servant had left his master's presence, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few cents. He grabbed him, seized him by the throat, crying, Pay up what you owe me. At this, his fellow servants fell down at his feet and implored him, Oh, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused and went out and had him put in prison until he should repay the debt. When the other fellow servants saw what had happened, they were horrified and told their master the whole incident. Then his master called him in. You wicked servant. Didn't I cancel all that debt when you begged me to do so? Oughtn't you to have taken pity on your fellow servant as I, your master, took pity on you? And his master in anger handed him over to the gowlers till he should repay the whole debt. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you each forgive your brother from your heart. Well then, months later, on his final way toward Jerusalem, knowing exactly what is going to greet him there, and now having passed through Samaria, well, he's confronted yet again by the Pharisees. And I imagine they speak these words with a scoffing tone as they ask him, so, uh... Where's this supposed kingdom of yours? I mean, when will it come, O teacher? And he answered them, The kingdom of God never comes by watching for it. Men cannot say, "Uh, Look, there it is, or here it is. For the kingdom of God is inside you. Well, a few days later, now in Judea, but on the far side of the Jordan, and we can imagine him probably standing out there in the hot sunlight of an afternoon near the river, he begins spontaneously to teach the people. Listen. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer going out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. He agreed with them on a wage of a silver coin a day and sent them to the work. About nine o'clock, he went and saw some others standing about in the marketplace with nothing to do. You go to the vineyard too, he said to them, and I will pay you a fair wage. And off they went. At about midday, and again at about three o'clock in the afternoon, he went and did the same thing. Then about five o'clock, he went out and found some others standing about. Why are you standing about here all day doing nothing? He asked them. Well, because no one has employed us, they replied. You go off into the vineyard as well then, he said. When evening came, Jesus goes on, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and ending with the first. So those who were engaged at five o'clock came up and each man received a silver coin. But when the first to be employed came, they reckoned they would get more, but they also received a silver coin a man. As they took their money, they grumbled at the farmer and said, Well, these last fellows have only put in one hour's work, and you've treated them exactly the same as us who have gone through all the hard work and heat of the day. 
but he replied to one of them, My friend, I'm not being unjust to you. Wasn't our agreement for a silver coin a day? Take your money. Go home. It's my wish to give the latecomers as much as I give you. May I not do what I like with what belongs to me? Must you be jealous because I am generous? So, Jesus says, many who are the last now will be the first then and the first last. Now, friends, we fast forward just a few days. We arrive into what we know as the Passion Week. And we're standing in the temple courts. And there has just been a confrontation with the chief priests and the Pharisees. And Jesus begins to speak. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a king who arranged a wedding for his son. He sent his servants to summon those who had been invited to the festivities, but they refused to come. Then he tried again. He sent some more servants, saying to them, Tell those who have been invited, Here is my wedding breakfast already. My bullocks and fat cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is prepared. Come along to the festivities. But they took no notice of this and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. As for the rest, they got hold of the servants, treated them disgracefully, and finally killed them. At this, the king was very angry and sent his troops and killed those murderers and burned down their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is quite ready, but those who were invited were not good enough for it. So go off now to all the street corners and invite everyone you find there to the feast. So the servants went out onto the streets and collected together all those whom they found bad and good alike. And the hall became filled with guests. But when the king came in to inspect the guests, he noticed among them a man not dressed for a wedding. How'd you come in here, my friend? He said to him, without being properly dressed for the wedding. And the man had nothing to say. Then the king said to the ushers, tie him up, throw him into the darkness outside there. He can weep and regret his folly. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And that same day, standing still in the temple, we're given the image of one of the scribes walking toward him. He had been listening, we're told, to the discussion that Jesus had been having, and he noticed how well Jesus had answered the other religious leaders and put this question to him. What are we to consider the greatest commandment of all? Jesus replied, The first and most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Hmm. I am well answered, replied the scribe. You're absolutely right when you say that there is one God and no other God exists but Him. And to love Him with the whole of our hearts, the whole of our intelligence, and the whole of our energy, and to love our neighbors as ourselves is infinitely more important than all these burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus, noticing the thoughtfulness of His reply, said to Him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Well, just a few days later, now the very Friday morning of the cross, 
after having already been put through a religious phase of a trial, now standing within the inside parts of the palace of the Roman governor, we're told that Pilate went back into the palace from talking to the religious leaders and called Jesus over to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked. Jesus replied, Are you asking this for yourself or have other people spoken to you about me? Pilate scoffed. (laughs) Do you think I'm a Jew? It's your people. It's your chief priests who handed you over to me. What have you done anyway? My kingdom is not founded in this world. If it were, my servants would have fought to prevent my being handed over to the Jews. But in fact, my kingdom is not founded on all this. <laughs>, laughs Pilate. So you're a king, are you? Indeed, I am a king, replied Jesus. And the reason for my birth and the reason for my coming into this world is to witness to the truth. Every man who loves truth recognizes my voice. And then, friends, as I close our time and as I close these kind of vast considerations of the kingdom of heaven, just in case we think that the kingdom of heaven was sort of a pet message of Jesus's that got dropped in the days of the early church, I want to bring you all the way to the last chapter of the book of Acts. This is what we're told nearly 30 years later about Paul. Listen. So Paul stayed for two full years in his own rented apartment in Rome, welcoming all who came to see him. And he proclaimed to them all the kingdom of God and gave them the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ with the utmost freedom and without hindrance from anyone. So my friend, as you listen to my voice, as I read all of these glorious sections of Jesus's teaching, and then finally that last section of the last book part of Acts, what are you seeing? What is this kingdom that we've been called citizens of like? And what will it mean for you today to live in this world as a part of it? Thanks so much for listening.